You had so many choices. You could have said panda lamb or bramble jam, but instead you went with indecipherable. I, listen, I think that is more appropriate because obviously it is indecipherable if it's yeah. confused so often. Great point. <laughs> I did actually, you may think it was indecipherable, but I did say the word bramble jam in there. Did you? Okay. Yeah, the first one was, was technically bramble jam. Which is Bramble Jam. Bramble Jam. Okay. And then I went, Bramble Bam. Yes, that that is correct as well. Welcome in, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Totem Talks, Season 4, Episode 15. We are happy to have you, as always. We are. Uh, I'm sure you can already know who we're doing. And you know why I know that? Because you can check our gosh darn website, lowtotemband.com slash totemtalks, where the albums and artists are released the week of, so you can listen along with us. Unless, Just, of course, you don't like that. If you like to live life on the edge, you always want to be surprised. You never want to know what's coming next. That's fine, too. Yeah, no. I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. If nobody's listening or nobody's listening along with us, that's fine. But just let me know, and I'll stop making yeah. that. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> <laughs> like, after this season, uh, I want to do, like, a feedback thing. Sure. I want to just like elect a representative amongst yourselves, all all who listen. You know, yeah. just vote on someone who can communicate with Pat and let him know that no one uses the website. Yeah, like if nobody's listening to the albums in between, like that's fine. I just won't post them. It's not a big deal. No, um, it'll but... just break your little heart. <laughs> Nothing can break my heart more than it's already been broken. Fair enough. I live in a society, Nick. Well, don't we? My know. heart is shattered. But anyway, uh, before we get started, we'll go over the artists that we're doing and everything. I'm going to say yet again, if you are enjoying Totem Talks, one, thank you so much. Two, please do us a favor, share it. Uh, we are trying our best to grow here and uh, and become self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think either of us are looking to be the next uh, the next podcast millionaires because there's like four of them. No. But, you know, Correct. we'd like to be able to sustain the podcast without having to just funnel money into it. Correct. Would be great. And the way to do that, that is by having people listen to it and then eventually getting ads. Yeah, again. But like fun that. ads. Like guys, I know I know you're like, but you guys are so cool with your ad freeness even though we started off by not being ad free. That's correct. But like we're going to do fun ads, you know? Like podcast ads are like, you know, shave your balls, eat a meal, like all that fun stuff. At the same time, maybe. <laughs> hey, if there's a sponsor that does Whatever that, floats your boat. why not? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's, that's the way you can help us out. Share it, uh, you know, comment using the hashtag Totem Talks on social media. Tell your friends about it. Anybody who mm-hmm. likes music, be like, oh, I have a music podcast for you. And yes. that's uh, that's what you can do. Uh, but I guess, well said. Nick, let's just jump right into who we're doing today. I would love to. Uh, we are going to do Yellow Card, and then we're going to do Candlebox. And then we're going to close things out with Ram Jam. Yes. So it was, a, it was an interesting week for us, I think. It, it surely was. Uh, and I will I will start by talking about Yellow Card here. So uh, Yellow Card was an American rock band. They were formed in Jacksonville, Florida in 1997. And then in 2000, became from Los Angeles. As you do. Right. Uh, so they were active from 1997 to 2008. And then again from 2010 to 2017. The three albums that we decided to cover for them were their debut album, and I, I mentioned that I, I mentioned to Nick that I hate them for this. Yeah, 
Their debut album is called Midget Tossing. <clears throat> it is. Uh, we followed that up with, oh, and that came out in 1997. Uh, we followed that up with 2003's Ocean Avenue. And then we closed things out with, you know, the eponymous closer, Yellow Card from 2016. Absolutely love that they snuck that one in there. Yeah, look, really helps us that they did. Really yeah, enjoy did. When, when they keep the eponymous albums flowing. Uh, but I'm going to just keep going, Nick. I'm just going to keep oh, you rolling. Go first? I know, I know, because I know what you want to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to keep rolling right along. So here's the thing. Yellow Card, Ocean Avenue, very synonymous. Big hit for them. It's it, it's the song that you know. You know, if I could find you now. Um, so that's not what this album is. No. Before they became like, I want to say like a slightly harder Blink-182 styled band with Ocean Avenue. They started off being like pure 90s punk. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is like Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack punk. This is like ska punk without the nice horn section. Um, It's not great, but here's the thing. For 90s punk, it exists. Like it's not like, oh, this is a bad example of 90s punk. This isn't a particularly good example of 90s punk. It just kind of fits in the middle of that genre. I think the vocals are the worst we're going to hear from Yellow Card. I think they get better. Yeah. I think instrumentally, there was the interlude, lewd spelled as in lewd, like L-E-W-D. Right, of course. That showed that they had some instrumental chops here. Like, it wasn't terribly done. However, none of that matters because they decided it was a good idea to cover For the Longest Time by Billy Joel and, like, old yeller take that thing outside and shoot it in the head. It was the worst thing I've heard. <laughs> it was like they took a song that was, like, you know, a beautiful homage to, like, the doo-wop age mm -hmm. and just were like, ah, doo-wop my dick and just ruined it. It was so yeah. bad. They, like, didn't even... they like. I would say they tried to harmonize, but like they actually didn't because they were just like, whoa, for the longest. Like they weren't even trying to sing. Like that was the level of effort they put into it, which made me legitimately question all the good things I thought in the beginning. I didn't like the album. Let me be clear. <laughs> yeah. But I also just don't love 90s punk. Like I think good punk was earlier in decades before then and then yeah. stopped. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. But. Yikes for that Billy Joel cover. Big yikes. Um, yeah, I didn't like it either. <laughs> um, it wasn't good. No, it, it was uh, not. <laughs> I'll tell you what I noticed for a lot of the record, cause, and to be clear, it's all only on YouTube. I think it's just one yeah. of those things where when a band a, like has a big genre shift, but they become very famous for the second genre the first genre stuff disappears off of streaming platforms. Sure. You know, because they want to maintain, like, their identity, which is fine. Um, man, when I was listening to this, I don't know if it was YouTube quality or if it was just the way they mixed the songs. I felt like the drums were just so busy in the mix that you almost yeah. forgot that other instruments were happening. It was um, bad. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, you mentioned Interlude. I also thought the, thought the song Me First. Those were the two best things on this record and the reason is simple because you wouldn't expect it from a pop punk band but you sure as hell wouldn't expect it from a like straight up hardcore punk band uh, i mean they're not quite hardcore but like they're in that direction a violinist 
Okay, yeah. Like, you don't expect the fact that they have a violinist and Sean Mackin <laughs> is the coolest part of this band. Like, 100%. I think, hands down. And I think that stays the same when you go into Ocean Avenue because you are getting the pop punk sound that they're famous for now. And you are getting, um, like, it's definitely a, a band that's on the heavier end of that, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, but the thing that actually makes them stand out, and you might not even notice it or remember it, even if you know the song Ocean Avenue well, there's a, important violin parts going on in that song. And the fact that they have violin and that that's just like such a unique thing for bands in the genre to have, I really like what Sean Mackin brings to the table. Like, I'm so glad that they decided to go with a weirdish lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think everything about this record otherwise, like, I enjoyed this one. This one was good to listen to. It screams nostalgia to me. I mean, I'm sure it probably did for you, too, because 2003, we were 11-year-old children, you know, back yeah. when life was uncomplicated. Um, God, those are the days. Yeah, but I think this is definitely amongst uh, one of the stronger records of those early pop punk days. Um, the two hits that Yellow Card is known for, like the only two songs by Yellow Card I knew, Ocean Avenue, obviously, and then only one uh, is the only other song that I knew by them. They're both on this record. I'd imagine that they're, they're probably their two most popular songs. And they're really good songs. Um, and then View from Heaven I thought was really cool because you get something completely different. There's like a country flavor uh, and instead of the like electric violin parts that you hear kind of intermixed into the pop punkiness, you get more like fiddle sounding violin like um, and it's it's just a cool flavor that they that they were able to change things up there. So definitely felt a lot better. I listened to this right after um, midget tossing Same. and I was relieved. I was very relieved. Yeah. OK, so I, we're both in agreement here. I would also consider this like one of the quintessential pop punk albums uh especially like you know 90s 2000s i -hmm. mean there's enema of the state for sure Sure, yeah uh, bleed american by jimmy world uh green day depending on where you put them in pop punk or or like more rock range but i think yeah maybe american idiot but who knows american idiot is the one that could be considered i think pop punk yeah because i think their earlier stuff is leans more punk than pop punk but you know i'm with you uh but here's the thing. You mentioned the violin and the kind of quirky lineup and stuff, and I'm with you on all of that. Uh, for me, you know, as is my typical nature here, I was much more interested in Ryan Key's vocals. Which are very good. Because I knew that this was, I knew that this was the yellow card I knew. Like, mm-hmm. I knew that Ryan Key could sing. Like, we've attempted to sing, we've attempted to do Ocean Avenue. And I was like, listen, man, it's just too high. Like... It's mm-hmm. too, I can sing that song, I can hit those notes, but I'm not singing much after that. Right. Like, though, that's up there. And so I knew that he had some vocal chops. I was just, you know, they weren't there on the first album. And then here they are. And I think that this album, they have a good mix of important moments here. There's some power, like, uh, like Nick mentioned, and like I said too, like they go a little more hardcore- like, they're on the hard, more hardcore end of pop punk, similar to, like, an American Idiot, like, heavier pop punk, almost mm-hmm. punk, almost in that alt-rock phase, rather than, like, Blink, which is pure pop punk. Uh, Ocean Avenue was obviously the best song they've come out with. Um, I also really enjoyed Life of a Salesman. It was a little more of a break, mm-hmm. da- like a breakdown, which is kind of sure. my other point. There were, like, breathing moments in this album. 
you know, on the first album, I guess there was interlude, which kind of had a, a like a moment where you could take a deep breath, right? But it also happened to be right after the worst song in the history of music. Sure, <laughs> I don't it was know. also just like no, I no, mean, get like off the couch wasn't that bad. It was, it yeah. was after, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was. It, the I mean, they song. had officially gone from like just really like nasty punk. And yeah. then just a violin piece, like out of nowhere. It was like, what? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, and this one, it was less surprising, but better mm. for it. Because it yeah. stayed true to the genre while allowing me, the listener, to like <sighs> breathe a little bit. Kind of come mm-hmm. down off of Ocean Avenue and, you know, the ups and downs. Uh, so re- I think this was a really complete, solid album all the way through. Uh, and I'll go into Yellow Card. So we've yet again now shifted genre. We have, this has been a true evolution of music because we've gone from like hardcore proto punk, 90s punk to pop punk with like hints of alt rock maybe to this is an alt rock album. Like this is an album that, and I I don't mean this as an insult, but it's going to sound like that based on our scores before. This is an album that like Daughtry could have come out with. Mm-hmm. And I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like a slightly different Daughtry album. Right. But I really enjoyed a lot of it. Um, I think that vocally it was still really strong. Ryan Key has a good voice. Um, and, he, you know, he, they're not older here necessarily, so there's no vocal degradation or anything. I thought that if I had to critique them a little bit, I felt like, as is kind of happening in the alt-rock scene, especially in the 2010s, the lyrics lacked a little soul. Like, they just felt a little bit boilerplate mm-hmm. um, at times. Like, it just felt like they weren't necessarily writing to write. And the, diff- the the two that didn't have that were, looking at them, the ones that are specifically written by Key and someone else, which is okay. Empty Street and I'm a Wrecking Ball. So Key writes all the lyrics and then on those two, mm-hmm. which I noticed before I noticed that, I was like, these two feel a little different. They're back to back. They seem that they have a little bit of a different edge to them. Both of them have different writers. Sure. And that's pretty much it. It's it's good. Okay. It's it fits comfortably into that alt rock twenty tens alt rock genre. Uh, it's a it's a nice farewell to the band and shows that they still had a lot of talent when they broke up. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm probably not going to listen to the last album again. Sure. Yeah. Um. I didn't, maybe I didn't hear as much of a change or a shift in genre as you did. I felt like a lot of it, you know, could have been like Ocean Avenue B-sides. Sure, um, maybe. Stuff that maybe you, you didn't hear before. Um, and I, I enjoyed the some of the softer songs that they mixed in here, like Leave a Light On. They have kind of a piano ballad, which is not something that you really heard from them before. Um, you know, the smattering of violin parts is always a highlight, I think, on these records. Um but otherwise, you know, like, I don't really have anything else to say about it. I wasn't left with a lot to remember um, other than that was pleasant. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot worse things to be. So I guess we can grade them. Let's do it. So I think Yellow Card qualifies, I guess, as like a two-hit wonder. Yeah, at least a one-and-a-half-hit wonder. One-and-a-half. I mean, only one did go gold, I checked, after okay. I said that only one was, def- to me, like, the only other song, so it was probably their second biggest hit, so I checked. <laughs> It did go gold, so I feel like that qualifies as a hit. Sure. So a two-hit wonder, and looking at sales and charts, it's two hits, so two points. Two um, points we, it is. If you, I wouldn't even give them anything else because I feel like Yellow Card doesn't really 
sure. nothing else has really stood out. There's one thing that will give them X Factor that we'll talk about later. Sure. But I don't think it counts here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there are 10 studio albums, one of which went platinum, the next of which went gold. Um, and they did go like gold in uh, Canada as well. And then uh, Ocean Avenue was silver, I believe, in the UK. So like they did um, do some stuff outside of the US, but not a ton. Sure. And uh, the first couple, I'll, I'll say, so the original vocalist, um, I believe Dobson was his name, was on the first two albums. So yes, I'm going to go ahead and assume that eight of these albums have the Ryan Key lineup and the music is probably at least solid, if not good. And that was exactly what I started to do uh, when I kind of realized they did the genre shift. Yeah. I looked and I was like, where did this happen? And it is the first two albums. One for the Kids, which came out in 2001. It's officially listed as pop punk. I listened to a couple songs just to kind of get a taste for it. Sure. I didn't. I listened to like 10 seconds of two songs. Yeah. And it definitely is closer to happens. Ocean Avenue. The shift yeah. has happened here. Okay. So eight albums of quality. So, so they're not going to lose too many points for the first two. Beat. I agree. And I, honestly, other than for the longest time, I wouldn't even take too much away for the first two no. because they're there. Like They're there. I wouldn't be like, these are the two worst punk albums I've heard in the no. 90s. No, certainly not. They're just I. Um, yeah, they're just I. You know what I think, honestly? Like the low bar for me is let the Lemonheads hate your friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred. That was the '80s, but that was like the worst punk I've ever heard. That's um, fair. But I'm still in the so fives. Bad. I mean, like I think they could be like a five six or a five seven for being a little bit over. They sold on their hits essentially. Let's give them a five six. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, instrumental talent. Obviously, it wasn't there so much on the first two albums, yeah. except for with Sean Mackin, really. Um, but I think it's good. I mean, like I don't think they do anything to hurt or particularly help themselves outside of the vocals and the violin. Um, right. I think. But this I think is those are th those are the highlights of the. Of I the think eight albums. I think the first album does have very busy rhythms. Yeah, it's it's too much. I don't I don't know if it's the songwriting necessarily, or I mean, I wouldn't say that the drummer's bad. It was no. just like poorly orchestrated. I think that this is probably like a five band who gets a little bump for Ryan Key and a little bump for Sean Mack, and so maybe like a five four. I'm good with that songwriting. I'm glad they showed the ability to change over time. Yeah. Um, There's definite growth here. With the, I mean, I think adding an instrument that is weird into a genre that never really experiences it is cool. I think th that it worked for them. But outside of doing that, they weren't like rewriting the genre otherwise or doing anything where I was like, wow, I really need to boost them in songwriting either. Yeah, I, I completely get where you're coming from with that. I think this is an, this is another one where it's like they wrote to the mean. I don't think they did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Unlike other artists that we've done, where they clearly yeah. just wrote, I think they just mm -hmm. their natural ability took them to like middle of the road, right? And I I think a five fits here. Yeah, I I do too. Um, poetic talent. I don't think it's bad. I mean, I I, I guess maybe like things shift over the seasons for us. <laughs> yeah. And if you can like hit on any kind of a story or emotion, like if they're any moments at all where I'm like, oh, that was kind of interesting. That's like a little bit better than average to me. That's at least something is happening. Again, I'm probably like in the lower half of the fives here, but I do think they deserve to be above the average considering what I now know the average to be. I want to let you know something before we go any further. Just I happen to be reading this as uh, as you were talking there for Empty Street, which is one of the ones that I said sounded notably different. Sure. 
I was reading, it was originally recorded as a Big If demo. Big If was the X basis for Yellow Card and and uh, Key, his, his their side project. Oh, okay. Which is why it had a totally different vibe that I enjoyed more. Interesting. It was okay. like not meant to be on this album, and they were like, let's put it on there. Very interesting. Just thought I would throw that out there. I, I yeah. just read that and was like, that makes that's interesting sure. to me. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so where would, okay. where would you be? I I'm probably a little bit above average, but not too much. Like again, in the lower fives, mm-hmm. I think that the first album was bad lyrically. Yeah, definitely. Like I think that, but it's but again, punk. But the majority it's such of such a yeah. different genre. Like it's mm-hmm. not punk. Is like I would grade punk lyrics the same way I would grade like old school blues lyrics. Like yeah. the lyrics don't matter. It's just making sound happen. Um, not comparing the whereas pop punk, but... pop punk is just teenage angst in lyrics. Yes, and <laughs> they do it well. And there's stories in Ocean Avenue. I think the mm-hmm. Yellow Card album has they get a little cliche at times. Mm-hmm. You know where they're getting a little bit almost melancholy, and I don't mean like smashing melancholy. I mean just like the yeah. actual emotion melancholy. Right. Uh, do you times. want me to give them a five one? Five one is perfect. Okay. Now X Factor. There's a very specific thing that happened with Yellow Card. Uh, so Yellow Card had a bit of controversy happen in about 2019. So Juice World uh, came out with an album, came out with an album and a song called Lucid Dreams, which Yellow Card was like, "Hey, that's the song Hollywood died." From their Light and Sounds out al- Lights and Sounds album mm-hmm. from 2006, I believe, and they sued Juice World. Right, pretty common. It happens in the music industry. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh, unfortunately, we're all kind of working with the same finite number of notes, and yeah, right, exactly. It happens. Well, Juice World died. <laughs> uh, basically, that uh, is correct. So Juice World passed away. He was 21 years old. Yeah, and initially. They did continue the lawsuit. So when it was just going through estates and everything, they were like, we started this before he died. Like, it's very common for lawsuits to continue into the estate. Sure. And so, you know, they were kind of being a little bit vilified for it, but it it's very normal. Like, it happens sure. all the time. Yeah. Um, and then eventually in 2020, the official representative of the estate became Juice World's like, mother. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the band was like, we can't do that. We're not doing this. Like, it's not that important. Like, let this woman grieve. And so they did a very mature emotional thing. I agree. And we're like, okay, we're going to drop this. Like, it's live your life. You had enough. I like that move a lot. So do I. I think that's a classy move. So uh, I I feel like that's an interesting story. I think that it shows. You want to give them a point one? I think a point one. I just for the the tale. It's done. And we are moving. Uh, on to Candlebox, Harry, or you'll be left far behind. Candlebox. That's it. <laughs> okay. No, uh, Candlebox <laughs> Candle is an American rock band from Seattle, Washington, which I guess lets you know what genre they are, especially when I tell right. you their years active were 1990 yeah. to 2000 and then 2006 to the present day. Mm-hmm. So this is a grunge band. Whoa. Right? <laughs> 90s in Seattle? What? Can't yeah, so <laughs> the three albums that we covered were... Here they are, the eponymous debut Candlebox, uh, which came out in 1993. Followed that up with Lucy from 1995, and then Wolves from 2021. And Nick, it is your okay. turn, my friend. All right. 
So we're starting things out with the giant hit. So their first record is their highest selling record. It went four times platinum, essentially on the strength of the single Far Behind, right? Because that is the song that still gets played on like alternative rock radio. It's probably at the time all four singles catapulted this band. Like the so Change You, Far Behind, and Cover Me all came out and kind of blew up. Far Behind is definitely and the one that has withheld and, and withstood the test of Correct. Time. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the, like, the regular old billboard charts, um, the top, the Hot 200, only you went went on the chart besides Far Behind at all, and it peaked at mm-hmm. 78. So, um, Far Behind is, is re- well-remembered because it's a great song. Um, it's got a lot of cool parts. And it's, oh, and it's one of those many, many, many grunge songs of the era that is... I believe an Andrew Wood tribute because everybody uh, was writing those. That was a that was a yeah. hip thing to do. Uh, the rest of the album is fine. Um, it wasn't bad. Most of it didn't like fully grab me either. I wasn't sure why. I don't know. Part of me was thinking maybe that the melody writing wasn't catchy enough. Because I couldn't okay. think of what was necessarily wrong with it, and why these songs like weren't better to me. Because I didn't dislike any of it, but I was just sitting there wondering, like, why is an album like this like not doing anything for me? Um, but but that might be the well. reason. Okay, I'd like to hear we'll it. To uh, but I'll tell you the the big change really um, on this record from the others was the song Rain where they really kind of stripped back and, and went with a nice bluesy sound. Uh, and I thought that was a good change-up for them. Um, and then it, the song eventually like picks up. It's a seven-minute thing. Um, but I really liked the fact that they tried to, to change it there uh, and get a different tone. Sure. And uh, But otherwise, you know, it was just um, it was their debut. Cool. Uh, and listen, I agree with you. It's middle of the pack. It's mm-hmm. good. Um, Far Behind is easily the best song on the album. Uh, which makes sense that it became the hit. I love when that happens. Like I feel right. like the I feel like society at that time did something right when like because how many times have we you know gone and found something where there's a big hit and we're like but this song is better. What are you doing? Yep. Nope. Nineties, yeah. you got it right. Like far behind is the best song. For me, yeah. I think catchiness was definitely part of it, but sure. I also think that you know you're comparing Candlebox. Well, who were some other grunge bands in the 90s? Nirvana, Alice yeah, in Chains, Pearl Jam, Alice in Pearl Chains, Jam, Soundgarden. Soundgarden. What do they all have in common? Absolute top-notch, out-of-your-mind vocals. That's true. I think Kevin Martin is a step beneath them. He's not a bad singer. No, he's but not. But he's, he's not, really not anywhere near, like, he's not, he's not, like, golden pipes of the age level and i think when you're put in this genre up against like heavy hitters of vocal prowess you're not and you're not on that level it makes it tough so i think catchiness has something to do with it i think that has something to do with it too i think like if i have the choice for like if i have the choice between listening to some candlebox stuff or you know some nirvana or some pearl jam or alice in chains Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna pick them because the vocals just sound so much stronger to me there's nothing against yeah, it. Like, they're, they're not bad at all. Like, right. if I didn't know those bands existed, I would love this even more. Like, I really enjoyed listening to it. It was it was good. 
Mm-hmm. But I I think that might be one of the things that was maybe holding it back just a little bit for me. Sure. Um, I guess I'll move on to Lucy. Right. And so this album is two years later. Not much has changed. I mean, let's be clear. It's yeah. it's still very similar. Uh, the only difference is this album doesn't have a far behind on it to me. Yeah. It it's it's just as well written and well conceived as the first album. It's just as middle of the road. That's that's what it is. I mean, all music gave it three stars. Entertainment Weekly gave it an F, which I don't necessarily yeah. understand. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote from that article later. Good. I mean, I didn't necessarily think it was an F, but the three stars yeah. make sense. This is a total three out of five to me as well. It's a it's a B album. It's good. I think the same things that held the first album back are holding this one back. They just don't have they don't have the depth of vocal or the depth of lyric, and they don't make up for that by having one of the soaring vocalists of grunge. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I was listening to this album like, there's occasionally something interesting happening musically. I mean, it's not all bad. It's it's not bad at all, really. Um, but still, I can't get hooked in. And this is where I really was like, you know, I think it's the melody writing. Like, there's sure. just... There are no memorable melodies to sing back from this album. Like I think it's definitely a combination of what we're saying. I think it's the two of things yeah. combined. Sure. Um and, and I mean it got panned by a handful of people, like you mentioned. And uh I I'll just quote because here is what um our friend Jim Farber at Entertainment Weekly had to say. With its dense guitars, blurry bass, and clunky drums, Lucy couldn't be more fat bottomed and lifeless. In fact, it's encyclopedically bad. You won't find a single melody, the singer can't convey an ounce of emotion, and the lyrics make no sense at all. At least Candlebox's unadulterated terribleness offers the public a sad, necessary lesson. For those who believed the human race would never again endure anything as awful as Journey and Foreigner, Candlebox prove it can happen here, F. Oh my gosh. It's pretty scathing. Yeah, I guess he loved it. I think he was a big fan. Oh, my God. That's brutal. It is brutal. And, you know, I don't know. You know, here's a, an interesting thing that happened to me this week. I with mean, Journey Farrer can at least records. write catchy tunes. That That's true. They are much catchier writers. Um, I just found this week was one of those weeks where album after album, I was just, like, thinking, what am I going to say about this record? Like, this is just so forgettable right. and nothing yeah. is going on one way or the other. That there's just like very little to discuss. Yep. Um, I thought, which is weird. It doesn't usually happen. And yet, but we've anyway, been, we've been talking consistently the whole time. So true, true. Uh, but anyway, wolves, 2021. Wolves. It's new. Um, and I'll tell you what, they finally are doing something distinctly different. This yeah. is now like they've moved on to a southern rock. Like there's still heaviness to it. Um, but they've definitely moved into that more into the southern rock flavor. Like you definitely get that um, coloring a lot of the songs here. Yeah, this is um, very clearly I, like a post grunge southern rock marrying yeah. of genre. I really enjoy it. Yeah, the and genre I think blend, song to be clear. Yeah, and I think song for song that makes this their strongest album. Um, and lyrically, though, it's not good. <laughs> It was kind of this weird thing where I just felt like lyrically it wasn't good. I felt they were like overly forcing the uh, the edginess of the lyrics. Yeah. Like just constantly throwing a bunch of curses in there. And I'm like, I don't have a problem with it, but like it should make sense. 
Um, and it didn't feel like that at all. So song for song, musically, I really felt like this was the best the best effort that they put out, while at the same time thinking like, well, it's probably best if I just ignore the lyrics as I listen. 100%. <laughs> so uh, first and foremost, I am with you in enjoying the change of genre. I mm-hmm. think that specifically moving out of grunge and not comparing yourselves to you know, the grunge artists of the day opened them up to a lot more favorable comparisons. Mm-hmm. And I think that they do a lot better with them. However, yeah. I agree with you lyrically. It's it's kind of rough. It's pretty rough. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, cliche at best and faux yeah. hardcore at worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really enjoyed a lot of stuff. And I really enjoyed the instrumentation. Yep. Uh, I think that it was... My like, it almost hurt them that because it was so much better instrumentally, it made me listen more actively. And then I was yeah. like, "Yikes!" At some of these lyrics. Yep. Uh, maybe exactly I wouldn't have heard these if you were just still <laughs> grunge, because I would have tuned you out by now. Yep. Um, but this album gets a perfect ten for me because I know somebody in it. I know somebody who recorded it. So. Yeah, vaguely enough. We've met. We've, We've spoken. Met. We've met That's multiple true. times and spoken at least twice, and so therefore You're he's right. my best friend. That is and how that is that works. is Brian Quinn, the lead guitarist for Candlebox. Now, correct. He joined the band in 2015. Yeah. So with those other first, so they got albums, better with him, in it exactly. Yeah, they're the best they ever were with you, Brian. Yeah, I I agree. Okay, well, I guess let's grade them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Cultural go. impact. I'm gonna go with a one. <sighs> Do you want to give them something slightly more than one? I Listen, I think if Yellow Card got a two, mm-hmm. I think Candlebox should get like a 1.4. Because I, okay I think that they Some had of those four other single, hits in the singles. 90s and from that first album that then just never stood up. Only one of them made it out of that year, Correct, which is the... And I think sure. the other three combined I'm okay with for that. a point four. I'm fine with that. Perfect. Breadth of work. Um, I think there's so 10 albums. we are looking at... Are there 10? I, I'll I'm, take you. I might. I, I might be confusing them with it's Yellow seven. Card. It's seven. Yeah, Yellow Card had ten. Yellow Card had ten. The difference being Candlebox instead of Ocean Avenue's single platinum, uh, it went four times platinum. Yes. So that's pretty good. So yeah, they probably have them beaten sales by a little. Um, all in all, I don't know how, by how much. Yeah. But it helps to have a four times platinum record, and you know the music was there. It doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, I think that they're not so like. Basically, what it boils down to is we're not taking away anything musically here, whereas out of 10 albums, we would have taken away stuff, and then they had eight albums that we were judging. Yep. I mean, my feelings would be that maybe they are slightly, like, Yellow Card got a 5.6, they get a 5.5 because they don't get, like, the musical boost. They didn't sell outside of the U.S., so I think that that, like, narrows the gap in sales quite a bit five, and there were three less albums is perfect uh instrumental talent i do think this is good i mean i yeah. think they're very competently doing this stuff and <sighs> i liked the vocals i do like the vocals i don't um, love the vocals i think they're good i don't love it's them just, either i it's like just them so tough it's just so tough in like i don't think any other genre i think because grunge like when when i say nick name a rock band I have right. no idea who you're going to say. That's true. Like, there's a hundred bands you could name that I would recognize. If I say sure. nickname a grunge band, I'm reasonably confident you're going to name, like, one of six bands. Sure. 
Like the the yeah. competition at the top is so fierce. Yeah, I just so like the like the vocals are being held up to giants to me, and yeah. it sucks because I don't think they're bad. I just don't think they're great. I agree. I mean, I'm in the fives again. I mean, uh, again, I I'm not really particularly far far from where we were with Yellow Card either. Not to yeah. keep making the comparison. I'd probably be at like maybe a five one or a five two. I'm I'm not. I'll give them the two. Yeah. Songwriting talent. The credit that I will give them is that it changed by the end. The sure. first two records were pretty much paint by numbers, grunge era stuff. But I mean, without... like occasionally I would hear like an interesting line. I yeah. think the guitar riff in Far Behind is like very unique and very recognizably theirs. Like little things like that happened on occasion. Yeah, is it I enough think... for me to give them more than like an average score here? Not really. No. I think for me, like what it boils down to is like your biggest gripe. And a gripe that I agreed with, even though it wasn't my mm-hmm. biggest gripe, it was my second biggest gripe. They was the don't melody. write catchy melodies. They do not. And there wasn't a ton. Of, like, in my, like we've had this debate before. Like, is catchiness is catchiness more important than melody than than songwriting? And we've kind of bounced back and forth because, like, if we hate a band but they're like writing super catchy mm-hmm. hits, we have to begrudgingly bump their score up here. And I think where yeah. where we're all like, hey, the the music isn't bad. Like it sounds good. They're doing interesting things at times, but none of it's catchy at all, really. Like one yeah, song, I, mean, I, I think, think I don't even necessarily think Far Behind writing. is catchy. I just think yeah. it's good and and stood the test of time. Yeah, I don't think I it's agree. like a catchy song. No, I don't think so either. And I I don't think there's you. The thing is, you don't have to sacrifice your orchestration and your experimentation for catchiness like you can write really good and interesting and complex music and also have a really thoughtful melody that is you know so good that it wants to stick in your ear 100 percent. so i don't know what do you want to do like a four eight ish or something like that like they they don't deserve to be killed or anything they're not they're a little below average but not crazy poetic talent it's rough it's not not a great score (laughs) i think early on you had a little bit of a of a cliche attitude you know, it was, as you mentioned, paint by numbers, and I think lyrically and instrumentally it did that. And then by the last album, it was very overdone. It yeah. was very, like, I'm going to make up for... It was like they stopped having an edge to their sound because they weren't grunge anymore, and so, so they, they upped the edge else. in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well and said. that like that album is taking away points for me. I, I mean, I agree. I'm probably a little below average again, like a four or five maybe. I'm fine with that. I think that's fair. Um, and I don't think there's any X Factor. Is us point. knowing Brian Quinn X Factor? I don't know. How many other per- bands do we personally know a member of that we've this done This might so be far? the first time it's happened. I think so. No, so what zero do you points. Give, zero give points. him a zero. Okay. Very good. So let's finish things out with Ram Jam. Ram Jam was a British-American rock band formed in New York City in 1977, and they were active until 1978. Yeah, and that's, a very just, long-storied history. Just, yeah, just they went in, they left, and that was it. That's true. And so we covered every album they released, uh, and that was it started with 1977's Ram Jam, the eponymous album, meaning, ding, 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 all three artists had an eponymous album. Yay! <sighs> Gotta love it. It really feels good when that happens. Um, and then we it truly does. we did 1978's Portrait of the Artist as a Young Ram. 
which yes. of course which, is a play on James Joyce's Portrait of an yes. Artist as a Young Man. And I was going to say, spoiler alert, that album title and the cover, my favorite oh, thing about this whole week. Easily, I loved it. It was amazing. Easily the greatest moment was yes. was And the very seeing, scholarly Ram yeah, on, the, on the cover. He Incredible. is such a good boy. He's doing his he job is. so well. He's a very well. good boy. I can only imagine a real Ram oh. sat for that painting. I would like to believe that he did. Uh, yeah, easily the best part of the entire week was the in-depth moment there. Uh, yes. But it is my turn to go first again about Ram Jam. It is. So Ram Jam is known for one song. I sang that song in the beginning of That's this right. episode. It is Black Betty. Yes. And it's their one hit. They're yeah. a one-hit wonder. It's a cover. It's a cover. Uh, it's credited to uh, Lead Belly. Lead Belly, yeah. Yes. And it's it, as Nick was talking to me right before we came on, like it even predates Lead Belly. It was an old African mm-hmm. work song, which you know may be a little problematic. Sure, but yeah, I mean, uh, like I can't wait till we do Lead Belly on the podcast just yeah. for his role in the history of like actually collecting all of these countless songs that had been kind of passed down generally generationally before things could be recorded where people would have to go like from town to town to hear that song and the person who knew it yeah because he essentially is the reason why we have so many of those songs um recorded and more well known yeah good for good for us really i mean really 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 helps us with super fascinating life story also definitely killed a guy well you know (laughs) I do remember. We'll that. get there when we get there. Yeah, I, I no. Well, you're, you're, so here's the thing. Now, you've completely because Ram Jam is not nearly as interesting as Led. I, I'm sorry, but look at all the pictures of Rams that they do, <laughs> which is fantastic. All right, let's let's get it out of the way. Ram Jam is good, but they're not great. I feel like that's the theme of this episode. It's this album is in a word messy. It's it's very messy. It's very it feels super thrown together. Like there's almost like a frantic nature to this album. I don't know if that's necessarily just because Black Betty is the is the opening song and that is such a frantic feeling song. Mm. But it just feels like a group of guys got together. And I'm not saying this is what happened. It feels to me like a group of guys got together in New York, were jammed for like 10 minutes, were like, "Oh, Crap, like this sounds pretty cool. And then recorded an album the next day. Sure. Like it just doesn't feel like rehearsed. It doesn't feel put together. <laughs> it feels very, I don't mean this as an upon way, but very jam heavy. You sure. know, where I wanted it to be more ram heavy. There you go. But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was somewhere in the middle for me as kind of this whole week has been. Yeah. Uh, I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Um, uh, Black Betty is very cool. I think of it as like a prog blues song because you take the blues, but then you do a lot of really interesting and different things with timing and hits and the double sure. solos and everything. Like, it's a really, like, if you're going to take blues and try to complicate it, this would be a really great example of how you can uh, really stretch the genre to its limits uh, and still sound great, I think. Uh, and I think that reflected really strong playing across the board. I think the guys in Ram Jam are really talented uh, on their instruments. And I think that this album didn't do anything other than give them their one hit, 
because it came out in 1977. I think that if an album like this came out in 1970, it would have raked in the sales. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, if this was coming out around the same time as, like, Led Zeppelin 3 or something, I feel like this would really, like, be raking it in. It was just the style to hit at that time in the early 70s. Like, they just were were a little behind the the times on their popularity. That's what I'm saying. Maybe. I just... I don't know. I, I... I just it feels sloppy to me. I don't know why. I don't know. I heard really good playing. I'm not I heard, saying I I'm really not saying playing. it wasn't good playing. I'm saying just like the whole thing just felt like frantic and like thrown together okay. for me. Yeah, that was I had, like the I vibe had, I got the whole way through. Okay. I only had one real issue with that, which was the the last song, Too Bad on Your Birthday. Yeah. It really sounded like it was gonna be uh, get it on Bang a Gong by T Rex. Mm-hmm. I was like, are they covering T Rex? And then they weren't. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds too similar. Uh, to it's be also that. it looks like most of this stuff was covers. Is what, is uh, what I'm saying. So, or written for them, not written by them. Keep your hands on the wheel. Um, neither of those guys are in the band. Uh, all for love of yes. rock and roll. Neither of those guys are in the band. Yes. Uh, 404. That is correct. So yeah. that's a problem. I mean, most of it was written for them. You're right. It's a problem for them. Um, that's probably why they were. They just like put these two albums together so quickly and were out. Yeah. Um, but I'll get into Portrait of the Artist as a Young Ram. Yes. Please. And just again, best ever album cover. Uh, just incredible. It's up there. And it's it's really good. And I thought it was really similar to their first record. Um, I might there's... still give it to uh, the Black Keys. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that it's, one, it's close. It's close. A different reason. Yeah. Like this yeah, is definitely exactly. the most proper album cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like um, the song "Pretty Poison" in particular, the second track, while it was not like a ripoff of Black Betty, I could hear that they were trying to like experiment with uh-huh. the style of the song, and I was just like, okay, so they're trying to take like some more standard bluesy stuff and like really fancy it up and change sure. things and do these dual guitar solo s- sounds and stuff uh, to like recapture the style of magic is how I'd put it um, for the song. But it was fun. I mean, the guitar playing was fun. The, like I said, like they're another one of those groups. We talk about it when they come up where you get a lot of the two guitars, uh, two sure. lead guitars at the same time dueling, which sounds really good. Um, and again, you get, a lot of songs not written by the band, although this time at least half of them were, which was an improvement, yeah. I suppose. And that is all I shall say. Yeah, it looks like they were the band. The ones that don't have co-writers were mm-hmm. written by a member of the band mixed with the engineer assistant. Yeah, who also co-wrote half the songs in the album. Right. So. Oh, by the way, before I forget, the uh, vocalist Mike Scavone. He uh, joined the Yardbirds in 2015 as the lead singer slash uh, harmonica player after after the death of Keith Ralph, I suppose. Yeah, uh, he joined the band. So I just needed to throw the the six degrees in there because. Oh my god! Ugh. I have to reach for that button now. Sorry. It's fine. It's okay. I just threw my shoulder out. I'm gonna sue you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, listen. I I agree. Um. This album, other than Black Betty, is the stronger of the two for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more consistent. It's a little stronger throughout. It feels like Pretty Poison was kind of a little bit weaker for me. Maybe because sure. it was the one that... Com- I didn't even mentally compare it to Black Betty in my head until you said that. 
but that right. might be why I was kind of negative on it because I was comparing it to Black Betty and it doesn't hold mm-hmm. up in comparison. Uh, yeah. But this album feels a little bit more like they plan to record it in my... Yeah. To continue my storyline. Like, the first album felt super frantic and thrown together. This album, from the title, the architecture of it, to the structure of the album itself, it feels like they were comfortable sitting in that, like, harder rock area and mm-hmm. really kind of pumping it up throughout. And it was enjoyable to me. Uh, again... I don't know how much of this I'm going to pull forward other than the, I, I will never forget the album cover, but no. I don't know how many of these songs are going to get thrown onto my playlist. Right. Now, now, Pat, can you remember originally, I'm trying to find it. There was a third album that I took off the, the schedule this week. Oh, gosh. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was up there for the whole time. Yeah. I just deleted it midweek because I did my research. I don't remember. Um, Okay, I can't remember what it was called. And now I'm like looking all over. I'm like, where the hell did I get the third album from? I thought it might have been I saw it on Apple Music, and they don't even have Portrait of the Artist on there. So I'm like, where did I get this from? Did you maybe see the very best of Ram Jam? No, because there was a reason um, why I saw this. They released an album in the 90s. And by they released an album in the 90s, what I mean is the producers, Jeffrey Katz and Jerry Kassinitz, who produced both Ram Jam albums, reformed a band of like French musicians in the 90s after a remix of Black Betty became like really popular and a, <laughs> like a dance hit again. Okay. And they tried to do a bunch of like remixed songs and like I didn't, I couldn't find the record and then I forgot about it. But they essentially like put out another album as Ram Jam. But it was not them at all. It was just a completely different set of musicians with the same producers trying to like capture on this like success of the moment of a remix of Black Betty becoming a thing. <laughs> and then like Black Betty ninety five was released from that record and everything. But it was none of the actual members of Ram Jam. Hilarious. Yeah, it was so interesting. I was reading all about it and now I cannot find any information on it at all. I have no idea what has happened. <laughs> They got the cease and desist immediately. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, somebody's looking into this. We, we got to take all information off of the Internet. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought it was crazy. And I was like, okay, this, this is like a crazy thing. Let me talk about it. And gone. But that's fine. Uh, uh, I, whatever. I gave you the whole gist of the story, which is all you needed to know. I did look up because uh, I went on their Wikipedia. Did you know that yeah. Jeffrey Katz and... The other one, I forget. Uh, Jerry Kastenberg. Uh, Kastenetz. Oh, Kastenetz. Okay. Kastenetz were two, the two people who really were the big exponents of bubblegum pop taking off. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> like, the, anybody who loves bubblegum pop, you can thank Jeffrey Kastenetz. It, it was called Thank You, Ma'am, was the album. Thank You, Ma'am, was the album with Black Betty 95 on it with just all these guys who were not. <laughs> That's so weird. Not actually Ram Jam. I know. They they just like took, it was in Germany, I guess, that it was released because it was like a a dance hit in in Europe. And I don't know. That's so weird. It was just weird. It's just weird. Okay. Okay. But I didn't want to overlook it because that felt like something that we could talk about in X Factor, like someone just hijacking the name on a remix. Not the first time that's happened on this podcast. I know. It's wild that this happens. But anyway, we're going to get into the grading. We'll talk about what that means when we get there. Cultural impact one is one. <laughs> one point. Let's move on. Breath of Work two is albums. two records. I liked them, though. I liked so, them enough. 
I would give them about two points for the amount of liking that I gave them. You would give them two points. I will let you do that. Two points works. Very good. Instrumental talent, I'm going to be honest. I heard more from this group than the other two this week for sure. Okay. Um, as a total I mean, package, like, you're probably correct. Instrumental talent, this was definitively the best group of musicians that I heard playing on a record. Yeah. Again, total package, you're probably correct. Um, I think other groups we did had stronger parts maybe, but... Sure, but not as a whole. Not as a whole. Not as a whole. And definitely the most impressive guitar work all the way through. Um, I would be willing to give them like a 5.8-ish. All right, let's do it. Fine. Excellent. Songwriting talent, though. They didn't write that many of the. They didn't songs, write that many, and the ones that they wrote were hard rock blues. Not really reinventing either part of hard rock or blues. I'd give them. And a there's point. only two albums. A whole I'd give point. Them a point. Yeah, I'd give them a point. I mean, they wrote about one album's worth of stuff, and it was solid. And here's the other thing: Black Betty. If that's any indication, like the other versions of it were like acapella. Um, like there was not really like this music, and they wrote a killer arrangement. I'll give you a point. Poetic talent, I'm not going to ask for a point, though. No. I mean, it's not... Their biggest hit was a cover, lyrically. Uh, the rest of it is okay at best. Most it's of it's covers. Um, I, I can give them like a point three, point two. Well, I think we should give... I mean, they wrote about an album's worth of songs themselves. But even the and none like- of the lyrics were bad. None of them were good, None but I would just good. give them whatever one album puts them, like a point seven or a point eight, as I think where one album puts them. Fine, point seven. Yeah, I think that's just fairness. But I do think they deserve the most X Factor points of the day for having their name completely like hijacked by their producers to capitalize on this like. Do you dance remember remix how many we and gave they put the out? Zombies thank you for man. that. Oh, that's a great question. Because um, that, like, no. that happened. Like that happened. But do I have a spreadsheet? Yes, I do. And the answer is 0.3. Then let's give them a 0.3. That's it. We have I precedent. would love to do that. We have precedent. <laughs> That's true. Ironically enough, we have precedent. Yeah, what are the odds that we'd have precedent for that? Making a band that was your name and just using them. Yeah. It's so weird. That's so crazy. What a world. Yeah, I, I wonder if they're, as part of that whole thing, like the producers had the rights to the name or something. I mean, me. Well, I don't. I don't I feel see like there Ram Jam more... lawsuits, so they had to have. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I didn't see anything about a lawsuit either when I was reading about it. So I don't know. Anyway, I have scores. I'm ready. And Pat, they are not super high this week. I didn't think they would be. <laughs> um, and coming in third place. You loser. Is unfortunately Ram Jam because I think they put out yeah. two good records. Sure, they put out two good records. They just then and they disappeared. Got it. They got a 10.8. Oh. Two records oh. and not writing half of the music. Only one record worth the music that they wrote is Rob. <laughs> I, that, so, I, that's bad. Okay. I feel bad for them. Yeah. Uh, but winning this episode. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, by just under two points with a 23.2 is a yellow card. Okay. Yep. Interesting, interesting enough. Interesting enough indeed. And uh, right behind them with a 21.4 was Candlebox. Okay. You know, a low scoring affair, but Yellow Card, you still technically won an episode. That's right. Congratulations. 
I'm just curious. The, you know, they would have won episode. I forget which number it was. It's the 87th overall episode. They would have won the uh, the winter has come episode. Yeah, probably. I I checked. They would have. But okay. You know, tough, tough, tough. Times. Maybe, maybe we'll do better next week. Maybe. Why don't you tell us um, who we're doing next week? Yeah, I would love to. We just made an adjustment at the beginning of the episode we as did. to to switching some stuff. So I will tell you for sure next week we will be covering Alex's favorite person to imitate vocally, Michael McDonald. Oh, as like Christopher Walken? Yeah, yes, we will be covering Christopher <laughs> Walken. Uh favorite musician. So Michael McDonald. Go. Michael McDonald, okay. Fascinating. Looking forward to yes. that. And of if course. you want to listen along with us, please go on lowtotemband.com slash totem talks. Once again, that's lowtotemband.com slash totem talks. Uh, but seriously, thank you all for hanging out with us. Thanks for sticking around as we uh, we got through it. We got through it. I mean, this one wasn't bad. I no. feel like we've had a couple. It was a weird lull. We don't. We usually always have at least one artist that we're excited about for one reason or another. Yeah. Well, I was excited about Candlebox because I knew a guy. Sure. <laughs> so we had that. It was just much more we personal for us instead of you. Of course. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up. I'm gonna push the button here, and uh, hopefully you, you all tune in next week. And uh, the uh, hopefully you're listening along with our year in music review series that we're doing. Yes. Uh, get ready for April to either have come out or be coming out, depending on when this episode's That's right, released. Yeah. Uh, but most importantly, as you're sitting there, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>